Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and back in the building, the conductor of chaos himself, Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Nick, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Um, I'm excited for another discussion with you on Deep Dives. I feel like each time I come on here, we have a little bit more fun each time. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we got national title game tonight, but um, when everyone's listening to this, we'll, they'll obviously know the results. So Exciting times. Draft season's here. Um, national championship here. I'm pumped. Ready to go. How about you, sir? How are you doing? I mean, draft season's kind of always here for us, but it's <laughs> definitely, you know, starting to get to be draft season for everybody else at right. this point. Right. So, We're welcoming everyone. It's like, hey, finally, welcome. You exactly. Long enough. It's like, hey, we've been we've been doing this since October, but all right, thanks thanks for finally showing up. We've I get no, we we appreciate everybody who follows us, whether you follow us for the few months of the year where it's the heaviest draft period, or if you're sickos who follow us all year round. We get it. I, I mean, I, it's hard to even balance, you know, life with the NBA grind and the draft. So um, I feel like when it's it's a switch. Now we're getting the the diehard draft fans that aren't going to be in the playoffs, and with the playoffs starting, we're starting to pay more attention to the NBA. So it works out well, and I'm I'm excited for the next couple of months. So on this episode, we have another philosophical discussion. I feel like we've had quite a few of these lately when you put out concept pieces and I'd be like, I got to get Rucker on the show to talk about this one. So today we're talking about the most recent article that you wrote over at NoSealingsNBA.com. And it has the pretty self-explanatory title, Fight for Your NBA Draft Guys. So it's interesting to me that this is sort of right on the heels of a article that you recently wrote that we also covered on here about overthinking guys because i feel like there is some overlap in this where a lot of people will sort of talk themselves out of the players that they really love in the draft because they feel like oh am i too high on this guy you know am i am i overthinking it and sometimes you're overthinking it in the other direction where you just assume that you shouldn't be as high on this guy as you are if you know the consensus is lower on them than you are and you're presenting sort of the opposite case here so i'm curious what tempted you to write this article at this point in the draft cycle yeah i mean i try to you know with with my try to focus on some of my pieces throughout the year you know obviously i'm doing the international stuff try to shine some light on those guys everyone at no ceilings has done an awesome job throughout the year yourself included nick on like specific prospect breakdowns and i feel like i always try to you know also open up to draft thinking just philosophical stuff where it's like okay like think bigger picture like um, and after I did that overthinking piece, I was like, okay, I got to, I started getting some ideas. I was like, I got like three or four in the chamber. I need to figure out which one I want to rock with first. And after I get these out, then I'll focus on specific prospects. But, um, when I came to, I did the overthinking piece and I got a lot of feedback and, and love for that one. So I appreciate everyone with their kind words. And then I kind of was like, well, I got also like another one I want to roll with. And I, I've always had this, you know, philosophy of like you get some point in your evaluation or scouting process you got to be willing to be like okay enough's enough these are my guys and i'm willing to to go to battle for them and and i'm not just trying to see like you got to yell at people with who who you love but you got to be able to be like hey i trust what i'm seeing i've done my homework um you know there's a saying when it comes to draft evaluators or or scouts where it's like you got to be willing to bang the table for a guy and I've heard stories and I even mentioned in my piece where, you know, scouts get furious in those war rooms when they're trying to be like standing up for the guys they believe in because it's they've spent the whole year scouting everyone just like we have. And, you know, those guys are in an NBA front office or an organization where it's like they're getting paid to do that year round. So they're wanting their voice to be heard. They're they're wanting to be like, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I've watched all these guys. This is the guy I believe in. So I think there's. As much as you can overthink and try to convince yourself with other, you know, people's fantasies when it comes to other prospects you might not be high on, you got to be willing to to look yourself in the mirror and be like, this is what I believe in. These are the guys I like. And um, that's that's kind of what I wanted to shine some light on with this article. And I found this particularly interesting because we talked about this when we talked about the overthinking piece, but I definitely tend to overthink a lot of these prospects. And oftentimes that leads me to not fighting as hard for my guys because, you know, I look around, everybody else in the No Ceilings crew is arguing for someone who I have 10 spots lower. And it's like, am I sure I have the right read? Like, you know, I trust everybody else on the team a whole lot. It's like, I 
often will trust, you know, almost always will trust y'all more than I trust myself with these things. So it's like very easy to get in this sort of ditch of I have to move this guy around on my board because that's what consensus has done. And that is exactly why you get, you know, a lot of these prospects who everybody says, I can't believe that guy failed. I can't believe that guy failed. It's like, well, if everybody got in the sort of position where they're convincing themselves, you know, all these issues that I'm seeing with his game, I must be overthinking it because, you know, these 17 other people think that this guy should be a lottery pick and I think he should be a late first rounder at best, you know? And that's where also we get, you know, sort of the flip side of that where there are prospects who, you know, it took one person in the front office, right? Just banging on the table saying, no, you know, we have this second round pick who you're considering selling. Trust me, this guy's going to be fantastic. He's going to be first round value with a second round pick. You're out of your mind if you try and sell this pick now because we could really get someone we desperately need for our rotation. You know, a lot of times second round success stories are very similar to that, where it's just there was one person who was caping hard enough for the player to get them the spot that they earned. And I think that's a big part. You know, a lot of organizations will have area scouts where you're focusing on specific teams within your region. And when a guy like that presents himself on the board, you all of a sudden get to have that, you know, security of having that connection with that knowledge of being like, hey, well, do you believe in him? Because he's falling down the board and we think this could be great value. And it's like, okay, that's where that guy can stand up for his guy. And to go off what you're saying, you know, with the no ceilings crew, I love this time of the year because we do all overthink guys. We're, we're banging our heads about, you know, the up and down ranks of some individuals. We get some heated discussions around this time of the year because we've been doing our homework all, all year long. I feel like beginning of the year, it's kind of like gentle, like, okay, yeah, we're feeling it out. And at this point we've all done the the work and we've grinded and we have guys who are like, what are you talking about? So we, in a weird way, I love it because if I'm low on a guy and three guys on our, our no ceilings team are, are just passionate about them. And it's not even just our no ceilings team. It's anyone that's in the draft community. I feel like that opens my eyes to be like, okay, you got to start looking a little differently. Then the overthinking comes into the picture. And, um, but after you do all that, I think you just have to say, okay, who who are my guys? Who do I feel the best about regardless of everybody's opinion? And if they don't like them the same way I do, that's fine. And I think when you figure that out, everything else gets easier to, to kind of put the pieces to the puzzle if you're making a big board or you're trying to project where their range is. But at the end of the day, you got to be your biggest fan, especially when you're an evaluator. You got to be able to be like, hey, I trust what my eyes are seeing. And um, if it doesn't work out down the road, then you you learn from it. and go over your mistakes. What, what did you see that didn't work out or what did you not see that ended up, you know, working out for them at the next level or not working out? So let's talk about the first of your guys here. Mm -hmm. And this is a player who falls into the mold of a type of player that you and I have talked about quite a bit before, you know, namely the player who maybe people think a little bit too much about how old they are relative to the rest of the draft class and not enough about what they can do on the basketball court. And one of the prime examples of that, the first player you have on the list of guys that you're fighting for Colby Jones out of Xavier. So I think I know the answer here, but yeah, why don't you lay it out for us while you have Colby Jones here on the list? There's just, you know, I, I consider every big board throughout the year. I fascinate with almost like the middle ground where you get really excited about the potential of these names and then maybe later on you start to look at the upperclassmen and be like, okay, maybe the ceiling or the potential is not as high and there's a drop off. It's like almost just like a complete shift in mindset when you look at your own big board or everybody's big board. And I, I tend to just obsess over those guys that could be right on that fence because I'm like, most times than not, those guys bring back, bring back better value than a lot of the guys you're chasing the potential with. and. I think with someone like Colby Jones, I'm a big sucker for if you go back to school and you continue to get better every year um, when it comes to just stats or just the way you're playing the game. I think that's a huge, a huge check mark for me personally. Um, that just shows me you have the maturity to say my game's not there yet. I need to keep working. Um, I'm not there as a player. You know, I want to get my game to a level where I'm going to potentially have the opportunity to have early success at the next level. And I think that's something we need to praise more upperclassmen for not kind of talk down or, or almost, you know, slander them. It's like, we, we look at this as a negative that guys are like, 
I'm not good enough to go to the NBA as a freshman after my freshman year. I have to keep working. And Colby Jones is just one of those guys like got my attention last year. Um, and I hadn't watched, you know, the, the classic meme. I wasn't familiar with your game. I hadn't watched a <laughs> ton of him last year. Then this off season when we're, we're getting ready for the upcoming grind, I started watching his film from last year and I was like, man, he just is doing something always. It's, it, you know, we, rebounding keeping a possession alive making the extra pass um i liked his feel i thought he was smart with recognizing his strengths and working to get to his spots and coming into the year i was like he's got it the outside shot it's the one thing and i joke with metcalf all the time on our podcast i say i hate how much we use that as evaluators like the shot if the shot just comes around but it was a big deal for colby jones i was like he's got to at least look like a guy that can make you respect him from outside and Throughout the year, I think he's just going to be this guy that does a lot of really good stuff on both sides of the court. He might not be elite at something, but he's just going to be a really good player. And he's getting a lot of those comparisons to Josh Hart with the Knicks. And I, I still think that's kind of the right mindset. But I think Colby might be a more offensive upside than Josh does. But Josh is such a good defender. So he's got a while to get to that level. But I really, really like him. I think this is a guy that if he has a good pre-draft process and teams are very smitten on the Intel and the intangibles, I think he could surprise a lot of us and go a lot earlier. We weren't expecting. You mentioned the going back to school and working on his game thing. And I think that's, you know, the key here with Colby Jones. I mean, as you, you know, glossed over, like, yes, there's the discussion that everybody always has of, Oh, if only he could shoot, Oh, if only he could shoot. And with Colby Jones, it's like, this is an exceptional connecting player who was just missing that one last piece to be someone who, you know, really is going to make it hard for coaches to leave him off the floor. And that connecting piece was the three point shot. And he's added that. And so now it's like, okay, this is, you know, a player who can really help us out on the defensive end. Who's a great playmaker for a wing type who now is finally at the point where teams have to respect the shot. So, you know, he can do things with the ball in his hands if he's forced off the line, because him being forced off the line wasn't really a problem until he became like as solid of a shooter as he has. And, you know, I wanted to go back to the point about going back to school and working on his game. I mean, how many 19-year-olds have we seen over the years who, you know, got some NBA front office to say, oh, yeah, you know, we totally buy into the potential for this guy. He's a long-term project. And so, you know, they declare as a 19-year-old and they get picked like 25th and they go to a really, really good team and they never get any minutes because, again, they went to a really, really good team because they got picked 25th, right? And, you know, it's funny because we have two pretty perfect examples of that from last year. Like, if Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin had not gone back to school, they probably would have been, you know, picks in the mid to late 20s. They probably would have been on teams that wouldn't have had minutes for them. And I mean, Jaden Ivey's growth as, you know, a shot creator this season, not just, you know, he's developed a ton in the mid range, you know, his efficiency hasn't always been there, but he's had a lot of really critical developmental minutes that, you know, granted part of that is because Kate Cunningham has been hurt so much of the year, but, you know, he got really key developmental minutes that if he had declared after his freshman year and been the 25th pick, you know, he might've not found a landing spot and flamed out of the NBA in three years. And, you know, very similar deal with Benedict Matherin, right? Like there was a point at the beginning of the season where it was like he and Paulo were the clear choices for rookie of the year. Right. And, you know, part of that, you know, Matherin didn't even get a starting spot. Right. But, you know, part of that was he went to Indiana and they're like, okay, this is a very important piece of our future and we need to give this guy minutes, but also he had that sophomore year at Arizona where he was the guy and he got to develop that on ball equity that if he's going to a playoff team, he just wasn't going to get. And the biggest part is with Matherin, I, I think a lot of people, you know, he had such an impressive year, um, but it was with a new system. You know, they brought Tommy Lloyd in. So he got to play this up tempo system that just allowed his strengths to blossom um, going from Sean Miller's to that. Sean Miller's was more a little bit like half court and, Tommy Lloyd was just like run, be a transition threat, like pull up from ever. They ran him off of everything when it came to off ball shooting. So he got to blossom, but Matherin was so impressive. He, a lot of us still liked him going into the tournament as like a potential top 10 guy. I think a lot of people forget, like he had an unbelievable pre-draft process. Like he was dominating interviews. He was having lights out workouts. And then all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, he's a top seven, you know, player now like people are talking about him in the top six there was buzz like crazy so it's just it tells you what can happen with that 
combine week and all these pre-draft workouts. Like if you, if you're kind of knocking on that door of potentially being a lottery pick and Massman for most of his year at Arizona, every time I kept asking, I was like, look at what he's doing. I have a lot of people were like, yeah, he's solid. Probably end of the lottery. I was like, end of the lottery. What? Like, but it just goes to tell you when, when this tournament's ending and now a lot of these teams have times to get, you know, these guys in, they're getting extended in person looks at them and reviewing the entire year of film. I think you can do a lot of damage in these upcoming months. If, if you're knocking on that lottery potential and you interview strong, you have good workouts and teams are really, really intrigued with you. It, it doesn't surprise me if a guy like Colby Jones all of a sudden is in that lottery conversation. And all it takes is one team, Nick, we know this. Like all it takes is one team to fall in love with you. Everyone said Keegan Murray top five pick is insane last year. And I was like, well, Sacramento fell in love with them. So that makes a lot of sense. All it takes is one. And that looks pretty great now. It looks pretty good. It looks pretty good right now. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be back with more after this. All right. So up next on your list of guys that you're fighting for is also a guy that I've been fighting for for a lot of the year and who I wrote about a few months ago. And we're recording this a couple days early. So this is before Jordan Hawkins puts up 40 points on 10 threes and 11 shots in tonight's national championship game for UConn. It's very interesting with Hawkins because he was someone who heading into the year, it was like he had a really great, like last month of the season in his freshman year for UConn. It's like, okay, maybe this could be something, but man, this guy's, you know, putting up a lot of shots and not a lot of them are going down. And you know, it seems like what he figured out that last month of his freshman season really translated. And this year he has just been a crazy three-point shooter. Like some of the toughest attempts in the country, nearly eight three-pointers a game. And he just dipped below 40% the last few weeks of the season, still at 38.5% from three. And, you know, this is not someone who is just spotting up in the corner and knocking down looks. Jordan Hawkins is running off screens He's, you know, doing a little bit for himself off the dribble, but mostly he's just, you know, everything you would want from an off-ball floor spacer. And it's funny as well because he actually sneakily is a crazy, crazy athlete, but it feels like he doesn't quite use, you know, his he has wild hops, and every once in a while you'll see him throw down just an absolutely insane dunk, but... That's the one area where it feels like he could, you know, use his athleticism a little bit more. The flip side, of course, of that is he's already an absolute menace off-ball defensively. And, you know, when you combine that with just how much he moves around on offense and just how great of a shooter he is, it's the kind of thing where, like, man, if he could figure out how to use his hops a little bit more, he's even more ridiculous as a player. But, you know, that's sort of an upside that he doesn't have to tap to be a really valuable role player, because even if it's just what he does as a shooter and as an off-ball defender, he's going to have a home in the NBA. He's uh, he's becoming one of the most interesting guys to kind of ask around about, because I feel like there's a lot of draft evaluators out there in the draft community that you talk to, and I, I respect all of their opinions. And even some guys that know ceilings, I feel like aren't at... They're high on Jordan Hawkins. They're starting to buy it, but I feel like there's another level they need to reach. And I'm not just trying to say like, hey, they got to get on me a Knicks level. But I feel like I'm right there with you. I think some people don't realize there's a lot more in his game that he doesn't get to show all the time because he is he's an absolute delight to watch when it comes to like what they have him do off the ball. Um, I don't throw these names around a lot, and I'm not talking about his playing level with them. I'm just talking about his movement off the ball. It's like watching Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, just like how crazy they run forever. They run you off of five screens to get to this running movement three that you're just like, how can you stay with this guy? How can you defend him? But I do think there's some mid range. There's some mid level stuff that is flashed. It just hasn't been enough. And like you said, there's some bounce where he can get downhill and kind of finish with some nastiness he's got to do it on a more consistent level to unlock that next level of ability. Because if he could do that, that makes him really dangerous to deal with um, when it comes to balancing, like, okay, I can get this three off, but I can also pump fake and get a little mid range elbow jumper. And that's going to give headaches. But I just love everything I've seen from him. Um, I think 
it, you know, we were just talking about Matherin. I think this is a guy that could have that rise where it's like Matherin was very physical and very nasty inside. And he was like a, I, one of my favorite things about evaluating Matherin was his rebounding. Like he was very underrated as a rebounder. He was just nasty. He wasn't afraid to go inside, but I think Hawkins could have that rise um, throughout the, the pre-draft process. And you start asking around, there's a lot of people asking about him, which is usually telling. It's like, okay, that's the, that's the name everyone's buzzing about. So um, another guy that, you know, we, we just made that talk about Colby Jones. I think Hawkins could be that guy that it would not shock me if he's getting into that top 10. Cause I just think the, like you said, Nick, the, the role is almost like a f- very safe floor with like what he could be at the NBA level. But if you're a team that's convinced there's more to his game, which I do believe there is. And you talked about the off ball defense. I think you could be like, Hey, this is potentially a starting, you know, shooting guard for years to come for us. That's dangerous and can get his own shot off in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, the dangerous names that you didn't want to bring up were Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. The dangerous name that I've been trying very hard to avoid all year is Clay Thompson, where it's and, like... And yeah, and we're not saying he they the same players. I'm just saying, like, with what a headache you have to deal with. I think that's what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no it's all good. No, I, that's that's exactly it. It's like, if I can think of anyone in this class who could potentially go on the kind of heater where, you know, I'm not going to say 60 points on 11 dribbles, but like, could I see Jordan Hawkins getting 30 points on 11 dribbles in a game shooting 10 of 13 from three point range? Absolutely. Yeah. He could do that. And, you know, it's funny cause you know, shout out to my friend Jordan, but we were watching the, uh, the Yukon game, the Yukon final four game, uh, this past, uh, this past weekend. And it's like, it was really funny to watch the Yukon offense. Cause it's like, wow, Jordan Hawkins is moving around a ton and they're just focusing so much on the big men, which, you know, when you have Adama Sinoko, who's been one of the best bigs in college basketball and Donovan Klingon, who's also someone I've caped for, who has been incredibly efficient in his backup minutes all year long. It's like, okay, you know, the paint is a little more clogged than it might be on, you know, other sort of dominant college teams. But you ultimately a lot of these college offenses, you know, even even for UConn, who has Jordan Hawkins, you know, there's a lot of standing around, getting the ball into the post, you know, reverse it out with three seconds left on the shot clock. When you move Jordan Hawkins from that into an NBA context, it's like, wow, the paint is suddenly so much more free. And the guys screening on the perimeter are, you know, a lot, a lot better screens, you know. Clayton's an exceptional screen setter and yes. Snow is pretty great at it too. I don't mean to denigrate them, but you know, the difference in level between a college basketball offense and an NBA offense is going to benefit Jordan Hawkins dramatically. Absolutely. I mean, you could even, you start talking about teams like Orlando. I mean, it, it, it's just the idea of adding him, like adding this ingredient to what you have like cooking. And if, if you're a young organization looking to take that next step and like Orlando potentially is going to have two shots at getting two really nice picks. And if one of them's Jordan Hawkins, then you're like, okay, so now we have Paulo and Franz and Jordan Hawkins is running all over the place. And, you know, Paulo gets the post up and, and dish out dimes, the Jordan Hawkins running off screens. It's just, it's a really interesting weapon to potentially add to, to your roster. And I think that's why teams might get him in for a pre-draft workout and be like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be lighting it up when it comes to his outside shooting. And I really do think there's a lot of stuff that's just untapped when it comes to his self-creation. Um, if he could just get that feel down where it's like, okay, I don't have to throw up threes all the time, but you know, if I hit a couple threes and all of a sudden didn't throw a pump fake and get to the rack or take an elbow jumper, then you're just giving headaches to defenders and defenses. So I think there's a lot of stuff in his game. And I think the icing on the cake is the defensive upside, the defensive potential. There's some stuff there. And, you know, you mentioned the workout stuff for Hawkins. I mean, you know, my concern about him taking advantage of his hops is going to be less of a problem in an empty gym and you get him in an empty gym and he does what he can do like on his best days in terms of his hops and anybody who wasn't familiar with that part of his game is going to look at that and go holy shit this guy is crazy athletic like why do we not see that more often it's like well you do see that you see that by him running 27 miles in every game to get open from deep i mean it looks exhausting it looks like a nightmare and, and there i was in that same conversation and i forget who it was against but he threw a he was either coming off a handoff or he threw a pump fake 
and got downhill and just took off. And I was like, whoa, where did this come from? So I think, like you say, he's going to get an empty gym with the chair as the defender and <laughs> throw down a couple of those dunks. And NBA guys are going to be like, whoa, he could get up like this? Like, so I think he just is running forever. Like he he's running off three or four screens to get one shot off. And it just looks like a disastrous experience to have to deal with that for an entire game. And I think that you don't see that a lot anymore with the guys in the modern NBA. I mean, Clay and Steph with the Warriors are prime examples of it, but Hawkins just runs people to death. And I think that's going to be an intriguing wrinkle for some team to be like, Oh, well, if we add Jordan Hawkins to what we got, you know, developing with our team, that could be dangerous. And I think a lot of teams will be intrigued with that idea. Um, you know, if New Orleans is picking up there, I think New Orleans could look and be like, well, you know, what if we get this coming in our rotation? And he's going to be a very interesting prospect for a lot of these teams. And I mean, Clay, uh, Reggie Miller and Ray Allen were strong comps, but, you know, even just on a more baseline comp, it's been, you know, 25 minutes and I haven't gotten a Kings reference. So I, I'm almost obligated to at this point, but the difference that Kevin Herter makes for the Kings yes, offense, just, yes. you know, that's, I mean, the Kings offense, you know, heavily relies on motion. And, you know, a lot of that is pretty similar to things that the Warriors have been doing, which, you know, not much of a surprise given how long Mike Brown was a coach on the Warriors. But, you know, a lot of that offensive movement stuff for the Kings doesn't work as well if you don't have that guy who's that great movement shooter who's always running, always trying to get himself open. And, you know, that's what Kevin Herter does. And, if you know Jordan Hawkins can be Kevin Herter on offense and more of a beneficial piece as an off-ball defender, that's a really, really valuable starter that you're getting. You know, depending on where, yeah, I mean, if teams convince themselves that he might be a top ten pick, then you know that's even still pretty solid value if it pans out. But if he ends up falling later than that, I mean, that's you know to get a starter who can do that kind of thing for your offense is a steal in that range. But let's move on to the next prospect on the list and. I don't think we're going to be talking about this guy as someone who might be falling outside the lottery. Yeah. Although who knows, there've been, there've been some uh, interesting takes on Jairus Walker and his upside. It took you, as you said in the article about 20 minutes of high school film to fall in love with him. It took me a little bit longer, I'll admit, but I am at the point where I've had him at four on my board for, I think each of the last two big board updates that we did over at no ceilings. What this guy can do for a defense is special. And I'm just, I've been thinking all draft cycle about if any one player in this draft, you know, outside of say Victor Weminyama or Scoot Henderson, but you know, mostly Victor, but like if anyone outside of Victor is going to fix the Charlotte Hornets problems, it's going to be Jairus Walker. And if they get him at four, that could genuinely be a transformational pick for that team. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think um, a lot of people... It's going to be funny to to kind of monitor these next couple months. I could see some people not getting so excited with someone like Jairus because you might look at his numbers and be like, well, is that a top five pick? And I don't think you're drafting him for production, like box score chasing. I think he's going to be able to fill up box scores in a hurry when he gets, you know, extended minutes. And he's going to be a guy that, you know, does a little bit of everything. He's going to play defense. He's going to get steals. He's going to get blocks. He's going to, I still think at the NBA level, his assist numbers are going to skyrocket because you're going to teams are going to see how special he can be when it comes to running the offense through Jairus Walker. Um, but it's also been just funny kind of the monitor the the landscape and see some of the doubts from draft Twitter and, you know, YouTube. We, I, I, we always get some fun comments this time of the year on players. And it's always interesting to see what people are thinking and, Sometimes you laugh. Sometimes you're like, hey, that's smart. That's a good idea. That's a good point. And, um, you know, one of the, someone I think said like, oh, I'm worried about his frame holding up at the NBA. And I was like, wait, the dude who's a 6'8 linebacker, you're yeah, worried about his frame? They were saying, well, he's not going to be as physically overpowering at the NBA level. And I was like, okay, I think he'll be all right. But <laughs> Jairus is going to be one of these guys. I think that's just teams are going to be drooling. Um Everything you've heard about him is, you know, intangible through the roof. Uh, great character, hard worker. Um, I know Corey had his teammate, Marcus Sasser, on for one of our No Ceilings episodes. And they did a film breakdown. And I think they even brought up Jairus and Sasser was glowing about him. He's just like, oh, he's great. And that take, that's from the source. You know, he's yeah. Sasser's <laughs> been playing with some guys at Houston. So that's, that's from the source. And I just think, you know, I... I 
said in the article, I was like, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I think he's going to be a superstar connector where he's just going to be this guy that really allows all of the pieces to flourish. I think he's going to do a lot of stuff that helps your team take a big step in the right direction. Um, you're looking for a locker room presence. He's going to check that box. You're looking for a defensive anchor. I think he's going to be potentially that guy. I, and the playmaking, I think the shots taking a great step forward from high school to where it's at now. Um, and I'm sure he's already working on it for pre-draft workouts. I just think this is going to be a guy that's going to continue to knock on the door of being a top four pick. I've got him fourth on my board too. And I don't see me dropping him anymore. It's interesting because, you know, the sort of, obvious but also way too high end comp because people you know always go way too far with these sorts of comps you know the easy sort of star role player thing here is Draymond Green right mm-hmm. but what i've been thinking about with Jarris you know almost the entire process is i was high i was very high on Franz Wagner i'm pretty sure i had him 7th that year and he still made me look like an idiot almost instantly because of how great he was and the whole deal with Franz Wagner is Oh man, you know, this dude's 6'9, he can slide up and down positions, really solid defender, also a great pla- uh, passer, great connecting piece. You know, three point shot is improving. This is someone who's going to be at the worst a valuable role player and at best like a fifth starter for a good team for a very long time. And, you know, we're, we're in year two with Franz Wagner after he, you know, was a 15 point per game scorer, started 79 games for Orlando last year. He's already even better this year. And it's like, you know, to have already been wrong about Franz Wagner when I was as high on him as I was, it's making me think like there's, you know, if the top three in this draft class was not as special as it is, then I would probably be even more. Well, I don't think it would even be irrational at that point to have Jarris as like you know a number two, number three guy. I mean, there were times this year when I had him ahead of Brandon Miller at three, you know. And it's the kind of thing where it's like people didn't expect Franz Wagner to be a fifteen point scorer, like maybe ever. And he was that year one. And you know, at his current at his current trajectory, he's going to be a twenty point per game, like five rebound, four assist guy next year. And given how good Orlando's been since their atrocious start to the season, he could very well be an all star next year, right? And that's year three for for Franz Wagner. If Jairus Walker is like evolutionary Franz Wagner, then getting him at four is going to be huge. And you know, I mentioned Charlotte in particular because that fit is just almost too good to pass up is like, it just, it's so easy to say, Hmm, who does Charlotte need? Oh, how about the six, eight linebacker who can solve literally all of their problems? Yeah. Why don't we go with that? I I completely agree. I think um, Franz is one of those guys. I think I overthought too much. I had him way low. I, I, I thought he was going to be a guy that played a long time at the NBA level. Um, And I just didn't see the immediate, jump coming right as a rookie and then this year i even got to see them live and i was just watching their magic team and i was just like gosh franz if they get a couple more guys franz is going to be even more dangerous because paulo's an offensive machine and then you you forget about franz and i looked up and i was like gosh he's got 20 like i was just like it's been a quiet 20 you you think you're stop, slowing the magic down and all of a sudden franz just comes up hits a pull-up three so i think jaris is going to be one of those guys too like if he went to charlotte um then you're all of a sudden talking about, you know, I'm still thinking Mark Williams is going to be a great piece for them. Mark Williams and Jairus is your four and five. My goodness, that is fun. And you're talking about creating a culture with those two guys and the defensive potential you have. And like, yes, Lamelo needs some shooting around him, obviously, but you got to start building an identity with that organization. And Jairus would be Jairus and Mark Williams and back-to-back drafts would be starting to build an identity. Um, and I, I think that's not that crazy what you just said. I think if Scoot wasn't in this draft, I'd be having a real tough conversation with myself. And I love Brandon Miller. I've got him at three, but I'd be like, if Scoot wasn't in this draft, I could see someone falling for Jarris at two. And and I'm just saying, it's the tools, and he's going to have so much versatility on both sides of the ball, regardless of what you think of the shot. He's still an unbelievable playmaker. He's got great feel. He's selfless. He He moves the ball. He understands his role. He's got handles. Um, and, and I go back to, I always used to talk to a, a coach that worked in the G league and stuff. And his, he told me, he's like, I think the shot and handles are the two easiest things to improve when a guy's coming in because they're going to be living in the gym. They're getting shots up all the time. 
So it's easy to coach that and work with that. Obviously he's saying if there's a good foundation and then he's like, handles the same thing. You're going to be dribbling a ball every day. You're not going to class. You're coming in to work on stuff. So um, I think Jairus is in the right direction in a hurry of becoming a really special player. And I'm like you, I don't throw Draymond around a lot, but every time I watch him, I'm like, this is, he's going to have a Draymond impact. And I'm not, you know, Draymond's going to be one of the best defenders that probably played that position um, when we look back. And I don't throw that around a lot. I'm not saying, oh, Jairus is going to win all defensive player multiple times, but it would not surprise me if he's just one of those like, goodness, Jairus is a monster defensively. I mean, if he ends up between Draymond Green and Franz Wagner, that's like pretty good all NBA player, (laughs) possible Hall of Famer. And that's, you know, I'm talking about this again as Franz Wagner is primed to be a 20 point per game scorer, probable, not probable, but, you know, possible all star next year, right? That's if those are like if Franz Wagner is like my, okay, settle down, you can't comp him to to Draymond comp, that's a pretty damn high comp anyway. Yes, exactly. I mean, look at the names we're even throwing around when it comes to Jarris. And I just, and Jarris, we're saying that at 6'8, 240 with just, Oh, he's just a delight to watch. And, um, you know, I, I think there's some people right now trying to find stuff wrong and it's like, okay, well, what can, what can he do on the court? Like, obviously we can nitpick every single prospect, but the stuff he can do is pretty dang special. And that's why, um, you know, if, if I'm wrong on Jairus Walker, if a lot of us are wrong on Jairus Walker, I will gladly take that out because everything I've seen, everything I've heard is like, that's a dream prospect. Up next, someone who I admittedly took a while to come around on. I now have Kobe Bufkin at 23rd overall in the most recent big board that I have. And it's funny because, you know, he is in a pretty similar vein to what we were talking about earlier with Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, except dramatically more so because after last year, it was like, okay, well... um, didn't really do all that much. And when he was on the court, it you know wasn't all that great, especially in terms of his efficiency. And this year, he looks like almost a completely different player. And you know, I think that's why it took me as long to sort of come around on him as I did, because it's like, okay, but you know, he was so far away last year. And also, you know, part of it was he got a much bigger role on the Michigan offense down the stretch run of the season than he had the first couple of months. So it was, you know, easier to see sort of what he can do out there. The defense is really coming around nicely and the offensive game is sort of, you know, the be all that bumped him into the first round for me of, okay, you know what, I've been, I've been hesitant on it for too long. You know, he's shown enough, especially with his stuff inside the arc, because the three point shooting is still small enough of a sample and it's still, you know, right around average, like 35%, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm not completely sold on the shot yet, but I mean, his ability to get to the rim, his ability to finish at the rim and his defense is like, okay, you know what? Even if my skepticism about the shot ends up being more accurate than I would like it to be. I mean, first of all, he's an 85% free throw shooter. So I can't really keep up my partial free throw truthing thing. If I don't, you know, respect that part of his shot coming around. But even without that, I mean, he just does so much on both ends of the court that it was hard for me to continue to deny him, which is why I didn't and move him up to 23 on my board for the last update. It's funny because we didn't even plan this. And I feel like we're talking about the perfect comparisons from last year with a lot of these guys. It's just that's why I love you, Nick. Like You're bringing heat to the table and Buffkin's becoming the guy. I think everyone's going back to watch tape now and everyone's like, whoa okay, this is more impressive than I thought. Um, I think I think lottery is a real, real possibility with him. I think he's going to have a real strong pre-draft process. This is a guy I think no one's going to want to go send their guy to go play against Kobe Bufkin because he's just really dynamic, really skilled. Um, he's got a lot of stuff going for him that is going to get the excitement of NBA teams. Um, he was a sophomore, but he's not going to be 20 until September. Um, one of those guys that just fantastic surge of improvement from one year. I mean, he was averaging three points a game last year. He finished with 14 this year. It's a big jump. And yeah, you know, as you say, 35% from three, like he, he was flirting with almost 50% from the field as at six, four, um, and 84.9%, like you're saying from the free throw line, I have to give Metcalf his flowers, which I know me and you hate doing, but, um, he was, 
trying when you got to do it, you got to yeah, do it. Yeah, you got to do it. I got to be, I got to do what's right. And he was pumping this name all year. And the more I went back and watched his stuff, the offense is exceptionally impressive. The defense, there's some stuff that needs needs to get cleaned up footwork wise, but there's some really impressive just awareness when it comes to, you know, off the ball and rotating. There's some really strong stuff. And Dalen Terry from Arizona last year was a late riser. I think Buffkin could kind of give that same idea, but he's more polished offensively, you know, and he gives me like Mike Conley, but almost bigger vibes. Like he just plays that kind of poise and there's some multi-level scoring upside. And I really think he's a a name that could start to make some noise. And I, I just love the way he plays the game. I think the confidence is starting to surge and, going to be really interesting to monitor him throughout the pre-draft process. Yeah, you mentioned Dalen Terry and that I think is, you know, another one of these names that just bursts into mind with Kobe Buffkin, especially yeah. since it's a pretty I mean, Kobe Buffkin had a longer stretch of it, but it's a pretty similar profile of much smaller role to start the season, important part of the rotation, important player in the rotation gets hurt, misses time and also, you know, has for Jed Howard's case, you know, like not as not as much of a role in the offense after he got hurt, right? And it's like, okay, you know, Dalen Terry had that great February March last year. For Kobe Bufkin, it was more just really all of 2023 so far has been spectacular for him. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, again, I mean, sometimes these things just sort of, you know, work out in a player's favor. Like, you know, we mentioned Draymond Green earlier, but would we be talking about Draymond Green in the same way that we do had David Lee not gotten hurt? You know, it's one of those things where if you get that opportunity, sometimes you might not get that opportunity again. You got to take advantage of it when it comes around. And Kobe Bufkin has certainly done that. And Dalen Terry certainly did that last season. Yeah. I mean, context, Metcalf wrote an article. I hate to keep praising him, but he's saying context and situation means everything. And Draymond's a perfect example. I mean, he was clawing to try to get minutes first couple of years. And then David Lee goes down and they needed someone. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, we can't, take Draymond out of the lineup now. Like he yeah. was just that impressive. And I think, you know, Jet got hurt this year. They needed someone to step up. Bufkin was putting up really big numbers. He had a, a really impressive stretch. And I just think there's a lot of tools on both sides of the ball that are starting to come together. And the defense, I think he has the tools to be a really plus defender. Um, he's just got to clean up some stuff where it's like, he's over anxious on a closeout and the footwork gets a little sloppy, but it's not stuff that I was like, Oh gosh, he does it all the time. It was just stuff that I was like, this jumped at me. He's got to have a little bit of awareness, but it's a guard getting ready to jump to the NBA. He's going to have a learning curve there too. I mean, I just think there's a lot of really good stuff. And in that range, when we get past the top 20, I mean, you know, Nick, like it's a roll the dice. So we've been waiting to kind of be like, okay, who can make some noise. And then I, I just personally got to Buffkin's film and I was like, Whoa, wait a second. Okay. Like, this this is intriguing. So um, I'm excited to see just another guy I wrote down. I was like, I'll, I'll believe in it. I'm, I'm I'm buying. This is a guy I would believe in, and I would argue against anyone. Like, yes, get, get on get on this train, get on this hype train. Well, someone who we have argued about plenty for getting on their hype train, so we can keep it to a minimum today, as much as we can minimize our discussions of Casey Wallace. Man, I mean. You mentioned Mike Conley earlier for Kobe Bufkin. I think Cason Wallace is the real Mike Conley comp That's in this draft. One. Just exceptional caretaker point guard, serious asset to your defense. And, you know, in Cason Wallace's case, I mean, I think he's honestly probably further along with his shot than early career Mike Conley was because early career Mike Conley was not really a shooting threat. And Cason's yeah. already getting to the point where he's, you know, average from three-point range. And when you combine that with his ridiculous defense, his he's a spectacular finisher inside the arc. Like, his overall field goal percentage looks, you know, 45% doesn't tell the full story. He's at, like, 53% or something on two-pointers, which for a guard of his size is really impressive. Yeah, man, he just does so many fun things on the court. And, again, I would, you know, we've, We've harped on this many a time, but I would be stunned if he does not have like a decade long career in the NBA. And, you know, the other comp that you make is Drew Holiday. And I mean, again, like Drew Holiday is one of the best defenders in the NBA. And it's the kind of thing where it's very difficult to get to the point where you can make a comp to Drew Holiday for a player. But I mean, Cason Wallace genuinely does have the tools and the absolute hellacious effort level to be one of the best guard defenders in the NBA. Yeah. And I, 
you know, it's funny because I'm starting to hear everyone's opinion on them. And, and I was just listening before we recorded this, I was listening to Maxwell and Steven on draft deeper and they were talking about Case Wallace and, you know, Maxwell, it, they were talking about like the risers and fallers throughout the year and they were praising Case and, and they were just saying like, he's boring. And I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's, what's going to be everyone not just going all in on Case Wallace is they're just gonna be like, he's boring. He's really good defensively. He's smart on the offensive side of the ball to get to his spots. I just did a deep dive of his film for our finals on YouTube. And I love just how he could just be like, okay, give me the elbow jumper. I'll take it. Okay. I'll take this floater. Like he's just one of those guys that will pick you apart and be like, I'll take whatever you give me. That's fine. And he's also shown some creativity finishing around the basket. Um, The outside shot, I think is fantastic. Like it's really impressed me this year. I know he finished percentage wise, um, 34%, but he had a rough stretch of the year. So I'm not weighing that too much played a little banged up. There's stuff you got to think about. Um, But I'm just convinced he's going to play a very long time like you are. And, you know, if anything, he's going to be just a nightmare defensively. Like he's going to be so much fun because you don't see a guard that's so smooth and confident as like a chase down artist. And, And he's just like baits people. He's like, okay, fine. And his hands are lethal. He just has fantastic hands where it's like off the ball. He just digs and swipes everyone. Um, he gives people nightmares defensively. And I just absolutely love him. I I think probably one of the safest guys in the lottery. I, I really do believe that. I think some team's going to get a guard that they're going to be like, okay, he's going to play a really long time at this level. And we, we love everything about him. I mean, you mentioned the people who questioned the Keegan Murray pick, but you know, I think very similar vein, Davion Mitchell, where it's yes. like he shows up and is like immediately like one of the best on ball guard defenders in the NBA. And, you know, okay, his shot wasn't quite where it was his last season at Baylor, hasn't quite gotten to that same level yet. But, you know, Davion Mitchell is a very competent, very necessary rotation guard for the Sacramento Kings. And they drafted him when he was 23, right? You're getting Casey at 19. And, you know, if that's if his floor is super valuable seventh, eighth man like Davion Mitchell, that's great value, you know, anywhere outside of like the top five in the draft and arguably in the top five of the draft in, you know, some other classes. Right. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think everyone was like, what are the Kings doing when they took Davion? And I was like, I think this is brilliant. I mean, you, that was clearly them trusting their board and being able to say like, hey, we need this ingredient in our roster. We need like uh, the ability to we're in a playoff series. We could throw Davion Mitchell out there to slow someone down. Um, and I just think Kaysen, you know, it, it would not shock me if he's going early. It would not shock me if he's going in that top 10 and one team just needs to fall in love with them. Um, a team like Washington, I would love if they got Kaysen Wallace. It's like, get you a... I wouldn't love that for Kaysen Wallace, but I'd love I that know, for Washington. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, just yeah. get this guy. You've needed a clear mentality. Like, yes, you have Bradley Beal on the wing for however long they have. They've had some flashes with the rest of their guys at the second half of the season. I know Avi is playing fantastic, but like, just get this nightmare defender on as your floor general. The league is combo guard heavy right now. Everyone's sharing backcourts. Everyone's sharing duties. Bradley Beal and Casey Wallace would be very fun together because Casey could also play off the ball. He understands when it's time to, you know, drive and and pull up from the elbow and get to his spots. And there's just a lot of teams that could use him. And I continue to believe that he's just going to be one of these guys. Like you said, Keegan Murray's a perfect comparison. It's just like, they're boring. It's like, yeah, boring sometimes is what teams need. <laughs> they don't need to chase this unicorn of an idea of like, oh, look at the potential. And it's like, the potential is Casey Wallace might play 10 plus years at the NBA level. That's enough to be like, we're going to hit. We're going to hit on this pick because he's going to figure out a way to, to be an impactful player for a long time. And I don't know. I just think this is one guy that I don't know if we're overthinking or if we're just trying to get more excited about other guys because they have, you know, superstar or star potential in some people's vision. But I just think Casey Wallace is like, just take it and enjoy the experience and, you know, be patting yourself on the back that, okay, we got a heck of a player in this draft. And I think some team's going to get that. The most unsurprising part of this podcast by far is the fact that I said, let's keep it short on Casey Wallace. And then we went off on him for 10 minutes. Yeah, of course. (laughs) As, as completely expected by anybody 
<laughs> anyway, so let's move on to the last player on the list and wrap it up with someone who I know is someone we both will fight for and both have been fighting for and both will continue to fight for, Julian Strother. And he is someone who, you know, you and Albert saw him in person last year and, you know, I still remember both of you being very much in your feelings about, wow, this Julian Strother guy is going to be amazing. He's going to really be something like, you know, Chet is the focus because obviously Chet was the focus, but keep an eye on Julian Strother. And, you know, he's come back and had yet another really solid year for Gonzaga. But the difference is, unlike him, you know, last year where he had a pretty difficult volume of attempts, but ended up at like 37% from deep. This year, he, you know, continued to fire away from long distance, but was at 41%, right? So, you know, easier to sort of sell people on the fact that, no, this guy is a really, really, he's not just an okay shooter. He's not just a good shooter. He's a great shooter. And, you know, he's not just taking like 20 foot threes only, right? This is a dude who's pulling up from 25, even 30 feet and knocking him down. And, you know, that's sort of the calling card for him. But I mean, defensively, he's really solid, you know, all around defender. And, you know, he just also makes this is something that we've talked about, you know, with a number of players here, but he just makes really good decisions with the ball in his hands. And that's the kind of thing where especially, you know, the range we're talking about with Strother, where he's, you know, probably going to be like late first, early second, you know, a team can look at him and say, all right, this is a dude who has played as you know he's not someone who's going to struggle going from being the primary option to you know being like a role player type he's basically i mean this year he's you know really picked up in terms of the impact he's had on the gonzaga offense but you know this is someone who's used to playing with other really great players who's used to finding ways to relocate finding ways to get himself open around stars who sort of dominate a lot of the defensive attention and it's just so easy to see that translation for him to the nba level yeah, I mean, I, I on my piece, I wrote about a lot of guys that I, I didn't want someone to go, okay, you're just picking guys that are going lottery, like, fine. And I was like, <laughs> okay, fine, I'll get out the box for, for some of those people. And I mean, obviously, I have guys in the second round I'm loving, but that's just, you know, that's for another day. Maybe I'll do an update. Um, and I I always just this whole year, just been like, oh, Julian Strother, I would take. Like, I would, if I was picking at the end of the first round, I needed a rotation piece to really strengthen our team. Maybe I'm a playoff team that needs to just keep taking the right steps forward. Um, I was like, Julian Strother would be at my list. Like if I needed a boost on our wing because he's gotten better every year. Like I said earlier on with Colby Jones, like I'm, I'm a sucker if he got better every year. I thought he was an impactful player last year on a Gonzaga team that was just stacked. Um, you know, they had Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nimhart, they had so many guys. And he was productive. He was some nights the guy like that. He was just going crazy this year, watching his film offensively. It is remarkable to see just how dangerous he's become as a three point shooter. I mean, he's pulling up from everywhere. The shots lightning quick. He's catch and shoot smothered. He's getting it up. I mean, it's just now I'm starting to be like, okay, this is a really nice complimentary piece. If you have around and, my favorite thing about him is he's six seven. He rebounds like he's seven foot. Like he will fight for extra possessions. He's tenacious on the boards. When I saw him in person, I was like, this dude just rebounds like a madman. Like he's six seven. He's a wing, and so I think that's something that is always going to be there with his game. So now you're talking about a guy that fights inside, spaces the floor, is dangerous, understands where to get to his spots. I mean, you look at some point in the first round, like if the Kings were needing a wing and they wanted an offensive rotation guy. I'd be like, Julian Strother would be a heck of a piece to add at that value. But maybe they go a little more upside. Memphis seems like a classic Memphis pick. They all of a sudden just have Desmond Bain and him raining threes on everyone. You just start talking yourself into that. And, and like you said, Nick, like all of a sudden you get in the second round, it's like, oh, your second round pick is Julian Strother. Like that's a really nice, you know, addition where, Team like Detroit's at 31. Like, what if you all of a sudden add Julian Strother to that rotation with whoever they get early? It's just, I think his upside and value is really, really intriguing. I think he has the potential to be fantastic steal a pill, if you want to say it that way. Um, the defense is tough because I wanted more. I think he's solid. Sure. He all he was always getting the the assignment of, you know, you're dealing with the best player and 
sometimes it's like, okay, it's a little sloppy. It's a little replaced. Then you see some off ball stuff. You're like, okay, this really makes me feel good about like the off ball awareness and things. So if he could get that to where it's just, you're not a liability. And then you're pairing that with the rebounding and the offensive versatility and the awareness. I just think that's potential to be really good value. Yeah. You mentioned the rebounding and I want to circle back to that. I mean, it's not just that he rebounds, you know, like he does that he rebounds like a madman that he's, you know, always charging the glass. It's that he's doing that on a team where he was playing alongside Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy last year. And, you know, still playing alongside Drew Timmy this year, right? Like these are big men who gobble up rebounds and yet you're still getting this, you know, wing who's played most of his time as, as a two guard, you know, crashing in the glass to the degree he has, even though that's, you know, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, Oh, you know, we're, you know, a team where all the wings are, you know, you have to crash the glass because we don't have the help down low, right? This is a team that does not necessarily need the rebounding assistance. And yet Julian Strother is still grabbing all those boards anyway. Right. I mean, absolutely. I think, if anything, Strother could hang his hat on being like, I've, I've figured out how to make an impact with different situations. Like he wasn't going to be the guy last year. I mean, it was Chet and Timmy and, you know, Nemhart. even you, you saw what Nemhart could do when he kind of stepped away. And with his pre-draft process of how good he played at the combine, everyone was like, Whoa, Andrew Nemhart can play like this. And then his stock, his stock skyrocketed. So I think Strother has shown, Every year he's needed to impact in a different way. He's stepped up. He's he's adapted to that. So I just think it's a guy that's going to figure it out. I think he's going to be another guy that we look at and we're like, he's just figured out a way to keep playing a really long time at the, in the league. I mean, he finished with splits of 46, 40, 77. Um, that's not bad. Not bad. And, and after a year, he was 49, 36, 70. So, I mean, just getting better. Just impacting the game and i still think if that defense maybe that's the next part maybe he zones in on a defensive team that you know things start to slow down and he can be an impact but there's gonna be plenty of playoff teams that are looking at a guy like strother where it's like okay the deep ball is now a threat and he shows the smoothness on the court to impact the game offensively they'll probably be buying stock all right anything else you want to cover here before we wrap this one up no, uh, this is a blast. Um, I have to say congratulations to you for your oh. Sacramento Kings. I'm so excited to watch them in the playoffs. It just feels right to have them back. Um, I'm pulling for them. So congrats to you, Nick. I know that's it feels good to have you here in that. You got to admit it. Oh, I'm very happy to hear it. I would be more than happy to hear you say it again. I am going to find some way even if it involves selling kidneys to be at the first playoff game in golden one and i am i'm so so excited it's it's funny it's like it's only just sort of started to sink in in a weird way where you know it was like for the first couple days it was like okay yeah but like all right who are the king's gonna draft like come on let's get real here it's like no no, no, we're actually it's, it's just been a whole season long thing of like every single stage along the way being like is it safe to buy in? Is it safe to buy in? Is it safe to buy in? And then we finally did it. And it's just fantastic. I cannot wait if they somehow play the Warriors. Oh my gosh. California will burn. What will really happen is if they somehow play the Lakers. It. Oh my gosh. Just be glorious. But that's, you know, the good thing is the, King, the Kings have clinched, which feels yes. so awesome to say. And I'm rooting for that team. And shout out to Monty McNair. Took some heat. I'm already excited to see what he does in another draft. But for now, let's get some Kings, you know, playoff magic going. It's April and there are things to talk about with the Kings other than the draft. So <laughs> even though Monty McDair is definitely going to secure someone fantastic, that's somehow not the next basketball related things that Kings fans have to worry about right now, which is strange to say, but wonderful to say as well. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. So, you know, I'll be pulling for you. I'm sure we're going to be talking plenty on the side about it, but um Excited for for everything we got moving forward. It's going to be an exciting time around here. All right. Well, he is Tyler Rucker. You can find him on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. And you can, of course, find him actively working the channels on all of the No Ceilings NBA social media. So at No Ceilings NBA on whatever platform you might be searching for. And, of course, you can find Rucker with the man who abandoned me, Tyler Metcalf, on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed every Friday. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. 
And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dives portion of the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.